Welcome to Thriving Educators. I am Brian Langley. Today is the third in a 12-episode series reflecting on the gem of a booklet by Jerry Brophy called Teaching. This episode considers curricular alignment, and I have Andrew Combe and Emily Polanski with me to discuss the chapter. Both Andrew and Emily are on the move with the Novi Community School District, with Andrew being named the Director of Curriculum and Assessment and Emily being named the Director of Instruction. They seem like the right people to talk to considering the topic. So here you go, Brophy's third chapter on curriculum alignment. Enjoy. Okay, so I interviewed Emily and Andrew separately for this chapter, and I thought what I would do here is simply play excerpts from my interview with Emily first, and then come back with the thoughts of Andrew to wrap this episode up. And so here you go, Emily Plonsky's thoughts on Jerry Brophy's third chapter of the booklet Teaching, this chapter on curricular alignment. Okay, so this episode is on curricular alignment and the statement underneath the title of the chapter, which is just like barely two pages long, says all components of the curriculum are aligned to create a cohesive program for accomplishing instructional purposes and goals. So Emily, when you were looking over this short, short chapter, were some things that popped out to you? Well, as you brought up right there in the initial statement, uh, there's a word in there and then a word he uses later that I want to call attention to who, and that's coherent and cohesive. Okay. And there are words that can be confused sometimes, but English teachers will tell you that they're, um, they're different words that are connected to each other. So when we talk in education about a unit that's coherent, we're looking for something that's logical, consistent, and that a student is able to understand it. And this is only going to happen if the learning tasks and the assessments that are inside this unit are cohesive. Okay. And so I think you and I as science teachers like to think about the idea of cohesive things kind of sticking together with forces. But in this case, we're talking about cohesive tasks and assessments that are linked together appropriately in a way that helps students make meaning when they form, form this entire coherent unit. So we're really looking for units that are both coherent and cohesive. And that's one of the things that Brophy emphasizes. Okay, so Emily, how would a teacher go about planning a unit that is both coherent and cohesive? So I think the first thing to remember is that it's not just about content coverage. It's about getting crystal clear about what you want students to be able to do and what you want them to know. And then intentionally planning a unit in a way that helps students understand piece by piece. And so when you think about being really clear, it's important that both the students and the teacher are very clear on an overarching learning goal. And so that the student know the student and the teacher know what the day's learning target is, what it was that they learned the day before that might help them understand what they're learning today and what where they're going, what they might be learning about tomorrow. And I have to tell you, I saw the best example of this today. Oh, that's great. I was in uh, Gail Zielinski's civics classroom, okay. and they are learning about, um, there, it's an economics class, 
and they're learning about supply and demand. And she's so clear. She has it on the wall. She says it. You know, remember, this is going to help us figure out our big question. How do you know when the price is right? And then she explicitly states, we have already done these learning targets, one and two. And we, and then now we're working on these new learning targets, three and four. And she names how they're connected. But when I turned around and talked to the students behind me, who I wasn't even sure, are they paying attention? Are they connected to this? Both of them were quick to say, oh, no, before we were talking about this from the perspective of the sellers. And now we're talking about it from the perspective of the buyer. And they're connected in this way. So the teacher was very clear about what it was she was doing. And she was explicit about naming that in text. The documents that the kids had in front of them were organized that way. So they were pointing to the document that this graphic organizer as they're telling me about it, and they're jumping in on top of each other to tell me how this all works. And so to me, this was a good example of how both the teachers and the students are clear on what they're doing and how the parts are cohesively working together to form a coherent unit. Right. So it sounds like it's very intentional and it's explicit. And this doesn't just happen at high school. And I watched this happening in Amber Loney's kindergarten class. Mm -hmm. And so they are learning phonics. And it's very clear that it's not just about the phonics. First, the kids are practicing this particular letter-sound combination, mm -hmm. and they've done this pattern the day before. But they, this is a new combination, and they can see how far they've progressed on learning these different um, these different rules along the way, and then they immediately use it to write, mm -hmm. and they immediately use it to read a decodable text. So it's not a skill taught in isolation. Mm -hmm. It's embedded in all the things that they're doing and the things that they did yesterday and the things they're going to do tomorrow. Okay, so it sounds uh, like simple enough and logical enough and easy enough. So it could anything possibly go wrong? Well, and I think the key is when you're in a classroom where it's being done well, it looks simple, it looks logical, it looks easy. But the reality of it is when you talk to those teachers who have built those really crystal clear units, it wasn't simple. Mm -hmm. They had to think carefully about each idea and what the components were and how they were connected and build it in a way that makes sense to kids. As adults, sometimes we're quick to jump and forget about all the pieces we hold in our brain at the same time when we're trying to make sense of something. Um, and as teachers are building this, I would say be really cautious about clutter. And that's actually what Brophy would say as well. Mm -hmm. um, he warns that curriculum that's clutter about curriculum that is cluttered with insertions. And I think especially because we are so passionate about what we're teaching, it's really easy to add in extras that either a teacher finds interesting or thinks, oh my goodness, this, we've just got to, we've just got to teach this to kids because they're also going to need this and they're also going to need this. But if these add-ons don't actually help a student move towards their overarching learning goal, they aren't it's actually going to distract from learning. Mm -hmm. The students don't have the ability because they don't have all that background knowledge that a teacher does to sort into, okay, this is really the stuff that's getting me towards my learning goal. And this is something additional and tangential. They don't understand that. So they're looking for those connections and not seeing them. And it actually can, again, reduce learning and add to frustration for kids. And so now that I just want to point out, as I say that, that does not mean 
that teachers need to be lockstep day to day. So it does mean that class minutes matter. And so if you're doing something, even if it's different from the person next door to you, they need to be aligned in terms of both classes, if they're the same subject, same course, are headed towards that same clear learning goal. And whatever you're doing in that class is helping you get towards that goal. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I thought that Emily had some really good things to say in her interview. And also, I appreciated the way that she highlighted uh, teachers around the district doing this well. Here is Andrew's take on Chapter 3, Curricular Alignment. When you read this chapter, mm -hmm. what kind of things stand out to you? I think that it does a pretty incredible job of summarizing um, what a lot of other PD and books and, and attempts have, have done, but it does it very quickly in two chapters. I think it lays out from a research standpoint what research tells us we see, which is challenging because you know, as a person who was in the classroom for 13 years, it's hard to hear sometimes that the research doesn't sound like what you believe you're doing. You know, So I think that is one of them. What it summarized was teachers spend a lot of time typically on covering content. What is the content I have to address? And then what are the steps I must do with kids? What activities will they do? to get that content, as opposed to what curriculum really is about, which he then kind of lays out and talks about. Um, you know, the idea is, why do we have kids in school? We have goals for them. We have things we want them to walk away from. So what seems to be missing in a lot of our curriculum is, what are the goals and how do we know if we've reached them? Mm -hmm. That isn't typically how teachers plan. Typically teachers plan with, what do I cover? What will I do step-by-step -step in class? And it leads to, as he mentions, kind of a disconnected set of facts and skills that aren't embedded in the, the larger network or understanding and application of those skills. So take me through a little bit of how you feel like our district is evolving in this area. Well, we have adopted understanding by design, which is a trademarked um, process, a book by uh, Wiggins and McTighe. And they have, I'm, they release new books all the time because, of mm -hmm. course, they've got something else to, to say. But at its core, it's based very much on this principle. Okay. Um, you know, and, and their concepts came out a good 10 years after this, you know, pamphlet did. Um, so we are trying to kind of shift our approach to be more about what are the goals you want kids to have and how do you know they've reached them? Mm -hmm. So we're using a template that... You know, everybody can disagree about whether it's the right or wrong or how many boxes are in the template, you know. But if we can focus on the spirit of what we're saying, which is at any point in your teaching, in your day, are you able to say, here's why everybody's doing this. Do they know that's why? And do I have good evidence for why? Mm -hmm. So this is kind of the, the underpinning, the curriculum part. Um, the challenge is you can write a great curriculum and then not see it in action in classes. Um, you know, one thing I see any teacher listening to this will be very familiar with the push for learning goals and learning targets. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes administration across the country has reduced that to, is there a thing on your board? And if not demerit, right. That's, that's not the point. But what's tough is often when I talk to teachers, 
you didn't have a learning goal or you know, did you have a learning goal? Oh, yeah, I just didn't have it. But do you realize the, the power of that is at any given moment, what does the kid think they're doing and, and why? Mm-hmm. Classic, right? That kids, kids um, say, when am I going to ever need this in my career? Mm-hmm. And I, I had a kid say that the other day. And when we think about the reasons why we teach something, um, it can't just be about preparing somebody for a career. Because then it would right. be like, all right, well, let's just pick your career for and sure. then give you only what you need for that career. Mm-hmm. Like an education, to be educated, yeah. involves more than just what I need for the one career that I'm going to choose, or maybe the, even the few that I do. Yeah. So I'm curious how you think about that. You know, I think you bring up a great point. I've often um, entertained people, well, well, why do they need calculus? Or why do they need physics? Or why do they need, you know, you can make that argument about, about anything. Why mm-hmm. do you need uh you know, um, art, mm-hmm. I don't need art, right? Mm-hmm. Why? I could argue I don't need 11th grade English. I don't need to be able to analyze the plot of an, I can make that absurdist argument about anything. Mm-hmm. So we are saying we want a well-rounded education. We want to address a lot of different things. There is value in knowledge. The challenge is we want to avoid that knowledge being isolated stuff that isn't relevant. Mm-hmm. So to me, the particular content, the facts, are important, but only in service of bigger picture ideas. Right. And so when, like as a history teacher, the challenge to the history teacher then is to find the content, the the knowledge that's like the best bang for the buck. Yep. So that, because the opposite of not knowing these things is ignorance. Mm-hmm. And so like, we don't want you to be ignorant. Right. We want you to be educated. Yep. And so what we're giving you here is a well-rounded education so that yes. you are an educated individual so that you have right. this background knowledge mm-hmm. to then anal- make sense of yep. your world today. Yep. And that's beyond your job. Yeah. And, and I would go even further and say, you know, for me, yes, I want you to have background knowledge and be educated. But I would say most teachers would agree with the concept that I want you to leave school being an excellent learner. You can learn any new things you need because you now know what it takes to learn, know if you understand, find information you need. So I think it's it's all of those things together. One of my favorite uh, quotes that I originally heard from Rick Wormley, a grading and reporting guru, um, is just because we can't fathom the solutions doesn't give us permission to abandon the principle. Okay. And that is kind of the the compass I try to use with this, you know. Okay, so we might not quite have figured out the perfect unit or exactly what this looks like. Okay, but if we accept this principle is important, you know, like the thing that we see in, in, in Brophy's chapter three here, then how do we try to do things in that spirit? It might not be perfect yet, might not be quite there yet, but I'm working on this. I'm going to try this. So that's a little rambly, but but uh, overall, yes, I think it's progress. Yeah, and I feel like um, as somebody that, you know, with when we started with PLCs and the idea was, what do you want students to learn and how do we know when they've learned it? And then you, you try to build your class and then somebody that then had NGSS come in and then mm-hmm. rebuilt the class and then COVID hit and right. you then make it yeah. virtual. Mm-hmm. Um and so thinking about how much change and tweaking we've done over the last 10, mm-hmm. 12 years, 
yeah. and yet it doesn't stop. Right. And and you're always continuously trying to ask yourself, okay, what really is our big goal here? Mm-hmm. What? How is really the best way to teach it? Right. Are we really hitting all these angles? Right. Um. It it's frustrating and also like exhilarating at the same time. Yep. And I think to that point, by having a, a premise about this idea of let's avoid content coverage and an activity orientation and really focus on, on big goals and understandings, I think that has value because sometimes what happens, I know when I was teaching, we spent all that energy fixing it, tweaking it, changing it. Oh, they all got number 12 wrong. We got to tweak that. Da, da. We'd spent tons of energy, but we were just rearranging furniture because mm. we still weren't about understandings or transfer. It was, they do, they should have that fact. They shouldn't have that fact. And let, oh, let's replace it with this fact or that fact, mm. or, you know, let's do this activity. They liked it. Like, okay. Not that I don't want kids to like the activities, but whether they like it might not be the best reason to do it. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think there's value in us saying, we know teachers are going to tweak the curriculum and constantly be looking at how do I do that better? So we want to make sure we're using what the research is telling us, like, like Brophy's uh, pointed research there and say, let's make sure when we're doing that, this is what we're focusing on. Right. This is the compass. Yeah. Okay. So like Emily, I think Andy makes really good points there about the importance of curricular alignment and what the process is looking like here in the district. And so to wrap up this episode, we're going to go back to Emily, who highlights a particular PLC that has already made some meaningful progress in this area. Okay, so Emily, uh, do you have an example of a PLC or um, a particular subject area that you feel like has made um, real good progress or would be an example of what this curriculum alignment looks like? Yeah, I'd actually like to highlight um, our Algebra 1 and Algebra 2 PLCs. Uh, If you look at nationwide data, these are courses that traditionally have high failure rates. And while we had, even in even many years ago, have most of our students doing very well in these classes, we still had more Ds, Es, and incompletes than we wanted to see. And so these teams really intentionally worked hard to make their curriculum clear. And when I talk about clear, they've got clear learning goals. And when you go in from classroom to classroom, while they're not identical, they have this these coherent units mm-hmm. that are cohesive because you go in and the students have uh, these lovely tools. They use Desmos and they use um, and they use the, again these graphic organizers that provide an opportunity to clearly name that piece of understanding that's going to come together to help them to. Um, put together the whole puzzle, the whole thing they're making sense of, how to practice it. It's very clear to the students and uh, and to the teachers what they're working on. It's consistent from class to class. I will give an example. My own daughter in Algebra 2 um, came home and said to me, hmm, you know, I'm like, how are you doing? Are you How are you feeling about the upcoming assessment? And she said, oh, I think I'm okay. And then she listed the learning targets that were going to be on the assessments, she identified to me, all right, here are the learning targets that I feel really good on and I've made progress on. These are the ones I'm going to focus on and study tonight. And so what you can hear from that example is that the students were able to link the tasks that were happening in class 
to an upcoming assessment. Mm -hmm. They were able to do that, use that information to actually track their own progress mm -hmm. and make sense of, I need to dig in here and I need to work a little harder here. So it was clear in that example that this, um, that in Algebra 2, there was a system built, a system that allowed kids to do that and a unit that was well-crafted in a way that made sense for kids to help them understand. I could see how a system like that would reduce stress for students. Like if you go into an assessment and you are, you pretty much know what the assessment is going to be about because it's been clear to you what you've been trying to accomplish, then I just feel like A, the kid would be very, feel very prepared and there should be no surprises. And I would think that those assessments then would be less stressful. And still feel meaningful to students because they understand they're not trying to get me, get me here. They're actually trying to measure, have I been able to meet these clear targets mm -hmm. that were laid out for me in class? And it doesn't reduce rigor. Mm -hmm. The tasks that we're still asking, we're asking kids to do are still rigorous. And the it's not like our Algebra 2 students are walking in and being given a problem that they have seen the day before mm -hmm. and being asked to reproduce that reproduce that identically, they're still applying it in a new situation and in a new way, but they know I am going to be assessed on these learning targets. Mm -hmm. These are the kinds of things I'm going to have to be able to know and do. Okay, that wraps up another episode of Thriving Educators. I want to thank Andrew Combe and Emily Plonsky for sharing their thoughts on curricular alignment as we reflect on Chapter 3 of Jerry Brophy's booklet, Teaching. Take care, everyone. <laughs>